0: I don't want to forget, I don't want you to forget what I did to redeem you. And that's where our title comes in this, this morning. God is saying, don't forget, remember. Remember. The emphasis is being on remembering. And so we're gonna see that. Now as we go through this, we're gonna find five things. There are five specific things that That God wants the people to remember and wants the people to remember forever. And I say the people, speaking of the children of Israel, the Hebrews here in Exodus. But these are all things that he doesn't want us to forget either. So five things. And you're going to see some of them are repetitive. But they're important. And we as parents, we know when something is important, we have no problem repeating it again and again and again and again to our kids because it's important. And that's what we're going to see here in the text today. Now, now some of us are thinking, well, well why do I need to do this again? Why do I need to be told again? Because others of us can all testify, we all have the tendency to forget, right? Some of us we've we've forgotten more than some of you have learned, right? We know that. Some of us can say, oh, I think I've been taught this before, or oh, I think I've forgotten this before. When we're learning a lesson that we've learned that we once knew that was once before our eyes all the time, and then we get reminded of, we go like, ah, I did forget that. I forgot how much God loved me. I forgot how secure I am in Christ. I forgot how perfect and final and forever Jesus' sacrifice was for me, and I can start to think I have to do something to earn it again. We can all forget. And so it's really, really good to be reminded. So that's what we're going to do. This morning in the verses that are before us. So let's pick this up. Remember, five things we're going to pull out of the text. But let's pick this up where we left off. Picking up in verse 21, Exodus chapter 12, verse 29. I said 21. Verse 29, it says this. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Verse 31 says, And he called for Moses and Aaron by night. And said, rise, go up from my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you've said and be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up on their clothes on their shoulders now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to suck off about 600,000 men on foot besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also and flocks, and herds, and a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, It came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. I want us to catch the tone. We're going to see this repeated in every little section that we're going to break apart and talk about this morning as we work our, our, ourselves through the text again and again and again. God is going to say, I want you to do this throughout all your generations. I want you to repeat this year after year. And that is what we're talking about. This is God saying, don't forget. Remember what I did. Remember what I did for you in Egypt who I revealed myself to be. So, Some of these things that we just read here from verse 29 on, we talked about some of this stuff in greater detail last week. And I should have included verses 29 and 30, kind of the culmination of what happens on the night when the 10th plague is poured out. That 10th plague being the death of the firstborn. So again, I'm not going to talk a lot about that this morning. You can go back and listen to last week's study for more information upon that. But that was a plague that God himself is going to show up, right? He's not going to send something. God says, I am going to go out in the midst of Egypt. I am going to execute judgment. And we talked about it being a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the Lord. And it is. It was a dangerous thing for everybody in Egypt, the Hebrews included. When God shows up, his awe is dangerous. But remember, God gave one provision. He gave one way of escape, one way to stand, one way to be... be protected, be spared from this judgment. And I want you just to think about that, church, one way, right? It's always been a narrow road, right? It's not something new, right? It's always been a narrow road. But that one provision that God permitted to be done in order for this death of the firstborn to pass over the households of those Hebrew people, it was through the blood of a lamb. If a lamb was sacrificed, was killed, And that blood was put upon the doorpost and the lentil, the top crossbeam. The Lord says, I will see that blood and it will be a distinguishing mark to me. It will designate that there has already been a death that has occurred. His house. And God says, I will take that lamb as if it was in the place of that firstborn. I will receive the blood of that lamb, the death of that innocent, spotless, ble- unblemished lamb as a substitute for the firstborn. They were saved by the blood of the lamb. And that's still powerful today. Certainly speaking to us, the title that Jesus has as the lamb of God and how we are still spared because of Jesus's substitute Constitutionary death on a cross in our place. But here in Exodus, we get the idea that all the children of Israel in Egypt in this day, they all did what God calls them to do. They hear the command from Moses and they do it. They do it exactly. We're not told that anybody doesn't do that. And so I want us to see that they're, they're supposed to do that individually. Each house is supposed to have this done. If you're going to share it with your neighbor, you better both be in that house. And remember how they weren't supposed to leave that house into mourning. And I love that because you are to abide with the lamb. You are to b- abide in the salvation that God provides. Don't walk around wandering away from it. There's danger out there. Stay with the Lord. But what we do see is they, they do it individually, but they also do it as a community. And I love that. The nation of Israel becomes a community through this Passover, through this act, this God is bringing out a nation, He brings down a family, but He brings out a nation, and so we see a community here referenced for the very first time, but that's that 's the Hebrew people they obey, but Pharaoh and all the other Egyptians, their houses were not covered by the blood of the lamb, and so they are not passed over their first, their firstborn children they are not spared, they die on this night, and they, there 's death all throughout the land of egypt not only children but also animals who had born born lambs and, and goats and calves and all those different things that animals birth all the firstborn are dying there's we're told here that there's not a house where there's not death in egypt and so that there's weeping and there's wailing and there's grief on this night as all these cries go out and now finally we see that pharaoh is ready to relent now, not repent. He's not going to change his mind towards who is the Lord. We're going to see that later. But he does relent. He finally says, fine, no more negotiations. No more compromises. He says, finally, please, no more of this at all. Go. You can take your, your men, your women, your children, your livestock, your herds, all of it, everything you want, go, please just go. His servants, Pharaoh himself, they call Moses and there and say, just go, it's time for you to go. And we, we imagine there's grief in their hearts as they're burying their children. Now God has delivered his people and they're ready to leave, leave Egypt here. So this is what's going on. They get their articles of clothing. They get their silver and their gold just as God had told them they could go. And and verse 33 speaks of the rest of the Egyptians are like, please go. If you don't go, we're all going to die. Right? That's what they say. There, there's going to be no survivors if we continue to oppose the Lord God of heaven and earth. And I think that's just good for us to just apply to our own lives. That's a great understanding. If you continue to resist God, and resi- you're never going to win. That's a losing battle. Nobody who fights against God wins. Right? God always wins. He's victorious. And to continue to resist Him again and again and again is going to lead to your death and eternal separation from God. All those in Egypt Egypt are seeing, we can't continue to oppose God and think we're going to live. Let that sink in for a minute. We can't continue to oppose God and think we're going to live. That's not the path to life. The path to life is humbling yourself before God, humbling yourself before his outstretched hand and saying, God, you are righteous, I am not. You are holy, I am not. You are life and I need your abundant life. Here's my life in your hands. And, and I'm not saying they did that, but that's what needed to happen. That's what the children of Israel have done and they're able to walk out of Egypt. God has broken chains. God has, has removed the grip that Pharaoh was holding on to them so tightly. He's broken all that. God still today is a chain breaker. He still today sets captives free. He's still able to do that and does that in our hearts and lives. But after 430 years, they are free. They're free to go where God is going to lead them. They're free to be the people that God has called them to be. A couple more things to point out here. Verse 37 says 600,000 men are now exiting on foot besides children. without, And the women aren't mentioned here either. 600 men. That's where we get the idea that there's two plus million people. If you ever want to know why do they say there's two plus million people? Where do we get that idea? We get it right here in Exodus 12, verse 37, when there's 600,000 men alone, not including the women and the children. So you put them back in, you got two plus million people. That's a huge nation. God has multiplied them increasingly here during this time. And I love it. Remember the verse earlier? It it said that the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. That's how God's grace works. It's not persecution that snuffs out what God wants to do. It's division. It's taking your eyes off of the prize, off of the Lord Jesus himself. But just persecution, God uses that to multiply and grow and strengthen his people and his church. But now they're free to exit. Two plus And I want you to know they're, they're departing in an orderly fashion. Do not think that they are running around screaming, saying, run for your lives. Now's our chance. Go, go, go. It is not, it's not a fire drill, right? They are in orderly fashion exiting like an army exits in waves, in rank, in order. And that's beautiful because they know God is for us. Who cares who can be against us? God is for us. They see the great victory that God has won. Yeah, they're going to forget it in about two chapters, but right here, they know God is for them, and they are leaving Egypt with their hands full, kneading bowls, where they're going to be able to mix some bread. they got clothing. They've got articles of silver and gold. They've got everything they have, and then some. God has used them to plunder the Egyptians. They're in victory. They are exiting here in victory. A little side note here. Verse 38 says, A mixed multitude went up with them also. And I just want you to note this. This mixed multitude. We want to know who are they? And I'm telling you, we do not know exactly. They're just going to be referred to a few different times as a mixed multitude, or that mixed multitude who came with them out of Egypt. So some want to say, well, are they Egyptians? Are they Egyptians who have come to fear the Lord God of Israel? Are they Egyptians that maybe sacrificed a lamb and put blood on their doorposts and lentil and were spared? Listen, maybe. Maybe. Possibly. Sure. I think that's a possibility, but we just don't know. Are they other slaves who had been in Egypt along with the other Hebrews and they see an open door, a fresh start. And so they just join along with the exes again. Sure, maybe, possibly. We just don't know. Both of those are strong possibilities. But I will say this, is that this mixed multitude, they are going to be a problem for the nation of Israel. We are going to see it's from these mixed multitude, these fans, some of them who are really not followers. They don't really want to submit their lives to the Lord. What they become is grumblers and complainers. It's going to be the mixed multitude that are going to say, Hey, you know what? It actually was pretty nice in Egypt. Remember the leeks and the onions and the cucumbers and the fish. It really was pretty nice. And they're going to sow that seed of discontentment in the Hebrew people who are then going to complain against Moses. And the complain against Moses is to complain against God. But what they're going to do, they're forgetting what Egypt was really like. They're forgetting the affliction and the bondage and the murder But that happens, right? And that's why God is doing what He's doing here, saying, Don't forget. Don't be like the mixed multitude. Don't forget. Remember what it was like. Remember what happened. Remember what I did. Verse 41. I love this this verse. It says, At the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, they depart Egypt. And I just want you to circle that. On that very same day, on that specific appointed day, God delivers His people. Sometimes we think that years are just clicking by. 428, 429, 430. What's another year? Is anything ever going to change? I want you to know, at the appointed time, on the very day that God had selected, now it was time for his people to be delivered. Sometimes we think a trial, we're in the midst of it, we say, this trial is never going to end. This shelter in place is never going to end. This illness is never going to end. This depression or this discouragement or whatever it is, it's never going to end. We know, at the appointed time. This too shall pass. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't lose heart. Keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus. He knows at the appointed day, this all takes place and his people are going to be redeemed. And now we're finally catching up to some texts that we're going to talk about this morning. What was the appointed day? Who appointed the day? God did. Right? He set up the very first Passover. It is on the night of that very first Passover, the 14th day of the first month that all this takes place. When he says on that very day, remember how the Jewish people reconcile a day? It's from sunset to sunset, from evening to morning. Right? We talked about that. There's your first night. There's your first day. You see, So it's on that same moment, the same day, Pharaoh's going to call them. That's what God is going to do. So just know God has a plan. God knows what he 's doing and I, just a side note here a side 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 note i think i 'm on a few side notes here don't don 't forget that God does great things in the waiting. In those 430 years, don't think that God was just twiddling his thumbs, doing nothing. I already mentioned they became a nation in the waiting. Two million plus people from 70 plus to two plus million. They became a nation in the waiting. God strengthened them in the waiting. God multiplied them. God revealed himself to them in the waiting. While we're waiting, God is working. Don't think that that this time is, is passing and nothing is being accomplished. That's just not true engage in what God is doing and press in so when that time comes you're going to be able to have a lot to take with you just like we're seeing here for the nation of Israel. So the first Passover comes, and verse 42 says, This is that night, a solemn observance to the Lord. And it says, This is that night of the Lord. And what he's saying here is, This night belongs to God. This night exists because of God. This is the night that God stretched out His righteous right hand, His mighty outstretched arm, and He delivered His people. And he he notes it, the 14th day of the first month, that is Passover. I want you to remember this. I want you to solemnly observe this year after year, generation after generation, remembering this this moment, this point. So if we could sum up all those verses that we just read, what does God want to remind the people? What is God saying? Children of Israel, don't forget, but remember, here's point number one. The Lord is saying, I am the Lord who delivered you out of Egypt. Passover exists to say, I am the Lord who delivered you out of Egypt. I want you to remember what I did on that night, delivering you out of Egypt. God wants his people to never forget. Always remember year after year, generation after generation. This is his word and it is being recorded to express his heart. If I could, if I could ask the question, do you know how important to God it is that we remember that? Do you know how many times God is going to repeat that phrase in the Old Testament? I am the Lord who delivered you out of Egypt. You know how many times? Listen, I don't know either. If you know, tell me. Because I stopped counting at 87 verses. This week I was like, I'm going to find out how many times I got tired after 87 verses where God points back and says, I am the Lord who delivered you out of Egypt. I am the Lord. 87 times God repeats that in the Old Testament alone. It's foretold beforehand in the book of Genesis. We see it all over the book of Exodus. It's repeated in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings psalms jeremiah daniel amos micah hosea and that is not even an exhaustive search listen i got a little exhausted doing all that but that is not even an exhaustive search but it points back again and again and again to this moment that we just read. That's why the Lord's saying, hey, pause. I know the Red Sea is awesome and it communicates great things when I part and deliver deliver my people again, but don't forget what I've already done. So many of us, it's such a good reminder. We're always looking to the next deliverance. God, do this again. And it's really good for God to say, hey, will you wait for a second? Will you remember what I've already done? Will you remember who you used to be? Will you remember the joy of your salvation, the joy of first love? When you first put your trust in me with a childlike faith and you watched me break chains and you watched me reveal to you, will you come back to that place? God doesn't ever want us to leave that beautiful place of first love. Yeah, we mature and yeah, we grow and yeah, we learn how to use our gifts in different capacities, but that shouldn't ever mean less passion, less love for our King Jesus. And so he's saying some of these things, to say, hey, don't forget, come back to this place. I want you to remember always that I am the Lord who did this I delivered you out of Egypt whenever you feel unloved remember that's what I did to show my love to you whenever you feel separated from me remember that's what I did to bring you near to me to bring you into the land that I'd I'd appointed just for you Whenever you feel like I don't care, remember I do. Remember I passed over you. Remember I chose you. Remember I've led you. When you feel lost, when you feel like there, I, I don't know how to get back home, remember that I reached my right straight hand. I want to hold your hand like a good father and a child crossing the street. It's like I want to lead you. Like a mother leads and guides her young. I want to do that. Remember, the Lord is saying, don't forget those things. I'm your deliverer and redeemer and victory and righteousness and your salvation. I am the Lord who delivered you out of Egypt. It's going to be repeated again and again and again. But that is who God is. That's what he was willing to do. That is who he still is today, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I know it's probably repetitive, but don't forget it. Don't forget the power that is in those words. This is full. The section that we're looking at today is full of things just like that, that God wants to remind us of. And never have us forget. Verse 43 says, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. Do not You shall not carry any of its flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it." And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. And then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as a native of the land. For no uncircumcised person shall shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and one for the stranger who dwells among you. Thus all the children of Israel did, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass, on that very same day, the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, according to their armies. So continuing down this road of remembrance, he's already talked about this Passover is to be a solemn observance to the Lord. And I'm talking about that Passover, that one day, that feast, and how it's supposed to be had, and the lamb that's supposed to be provided, and all those different things. We see more regulations pertaining to that that Passover. You are not to break any of its bones, right? A picture of Jesus, not one of his bones was broken. It should not be taken out of the house. This is this house where it's supposed to be taking place. Remember the danger of going back outside. You're to stay here, remain, abide with the Lord, dwell with Him. But then he starts to break some things out here, and he starts to give some exclusions of who can and who can't partake of this Passover feast. And this is really good, but I want us to break this down and give you the point before we see the application. What is God really communicating here? If we try to zoom out, and we say, God, what are you saying? What's going on here? Well, point number two is you are too be my people. Point number one, I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of Egypt. Point number two, God wants to remind them, you are to be my people. How many times was the command, the the instructions given to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can serve me, so that they can worship me. And we worship God not not in all the creative ways that we want to come up with our own. We worship God the way that he desires and deserves to be worshiped in obedience to his word. But it all comes back to saying you are to be my people since I am the Lord and I redeemed you, I bought you, you are mine, you are to do things the way that I've set before you. And I want us to kind of again step back here and say, wait a minute, is that reasonable? I mean, is this a reasonable request? Try to think about this for you personally. I'm trying to think about this for me. If I'm here in Exodus, I'm here leaving Egypt. I'm here in this moment and I've seen all that God has done through the book of Exodus so far. I was praying and, and now God sent Moses and I didn't really like Moses at first, but now I'm like, wow, God is with Moses. I've seen I've seen God. I know his name. I know his majesty. I've seen his awe. I've seen his great deliverance. I've seen his grace and his mercy and his protection from us. I've also seen seen his, his justice, his judgment and his wrath upon those who don't obey him. And now Moses comes to me and he's he's speaking for the Lord. And he says, Hey, I want you to be God's people. Do you want to be God's people? And I'm thinking if I'm there, I'm like, yeah, yes, I do. I want to be God's people. I want to be amongst God's people because you know what? I really want to be with God. I want to be with him. I want to know him. I want to follow him. I want to walk with him. And I'm assuming that most of you are saying that, yes, I want to be God's people. I want to be amongst him. So if we say that, we want to know, well, then what what does the Lord want his people to do? Right, If we're to be God's people and we say, yes, I want to be your people, we now say, well, God, what do you want us to do? What is it? And I love that we have Jesus on record telling us what he wants us to do. Look at this reference verse. This is the most important thing to God, the greatest commandment. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 and 38. Jesus is asked the question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So we say, God, I want to be your people. I want to know you. I want to follow you. What do you want me to do? And he says, love me. Will you love me? Will you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Will you love me as you've seen how much I love you? Again, how reasonable is that? How reasonable? So reasonable. I say, Lord, where else can I go? You have the words of life. I want to fall. Yes, I want to love you. Help me love you, but I want to love you. And we, we say, well, what does that look like? All right, I'm, I want to love him. Okay, does that mean I have to do a bunch of things? Does that mean I got to call the Lord a couple times a year? Does that mean I should call him more? Should I send him some flowers? Should I send him a card? Listen, no, you shouldn't do any of that to the Lord. Do that for your mama, right? It's Mother's Day. And it can be late. She'll appreciate it still, even if it's late. Do that for your mama. There's a plug there. Again, it's Mother's Day. But for God, what does he want? When we say, I'm going to love you, what does loving God look like? Jesus tells us in seven words. Here's our next reference verse. John 14, 15 says this. If you love me... Keep my commandments, right? How simple is that? If you love me, keep my commandments. God's love language is obedience. You want to love God the way God wants to be loved. You obey Him. You keep His commandments, right? How reasonable is that? We're going to see in the book of Exodus that that's that's where they're heading. They're heading to Mount Sinai to receive the commandments of the Lord. But you notice that he saved them already. He delivered them already. He's spared them and leading them right now before any of that. But then he's going to say, since you see my great love for you, since you have been loved, now I want you to love me in return. Obey my commandments. But that's what God is saying here in the second part here that we're looking at in chapter 12, is he's saying, if you want to be my people, then I want you to approach me my way. I want you to do what I've asked you to do. And so notice verse 47, Exodus 12, verse 47, it says, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. Speaking of the Passover feast, that is a command. Year after year after year, you are to keep this Passover feast. All the congregation of Israel, remember who you are called to be. Remember what God has done for you. Don't forget, remember. But then he gives some exclusions here. He says, no foreigner, no sojourner, no hired hand shall eat it. What that means is if someone's just passing through Israel, if someone's living in Israel, if someone's dwelling there temporarily during the time of Passover, and they see the nation of Israel acting like the the light that they're to be, the light to all the world. They're they're in fellowship with God. They have all these things. I want to be a part of that. Notice that they are not permitted to be a part of that unless unless they are themselves circumcised. That's the issue. That's what God is saying. If they want to be a part of the covenant agreement, if they want to be a part of the congregation of Israel, listen, no negotiations, no compromise. Haven't we learned that from Pharaoh? God's word needs to be obeyed. And God established his covenant people through Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 and the sign of accepting the covenant promises God gave was the sign of circumcision. Circumcision. That is just the way it is. You got a problem with that? Take it up with God. But that is what he said. And so he just repeats it here. The invitation is come. But the way is through God's word. Think of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to come to the Father, you have to come through me. And that's the same way it's always been. The word of God, speaking the commandments of God, speaking the path that we can come to fellowship and relationship with God. So notice verse 48, though, if a stranger wants to, they can, they are able, but they have to do it God's way. And so that's the issue here. The point is, I am the Lord who delivered you out of Egypt. Point number two, you are to be my people. And I just want, to, I want you to see that that's, that was supposed to be a non-compromising thing. Most of us, we know the, the history of Israel. We know how it's all going to go down, but it wasn't supposed to be that way. We're supposed to adhere to what God is doing and see the heart and see the faithfulness and see how much he's done. That was our response in love. So everyone's welcomed at the table. Notice here, this is another thing that's just really important. Notice at the end of verse 48. It says, When a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the feast, let all his males be circumcised and then let him come near and keep it. And then listen, And he shall be as a native of the land for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. 49, one law shall be for the native born and one for the stranger. What you're seeing there, and you can spend a little more time looking at it, is that stranger, maybe even that Gentile, that foreigner, that of the mixed multitude, that person who was outside of the the line of Abraham. They can come in and be a part of it through circumcision. And notice they will be seen as a native born before God. God will receive them and graft them in. That's a beautiful picture. And that's what we see is God's heart. It was always God's plan to be a savior to the world, Jew and Gentile. But he's allowing, he's allowing that. So as we think about this, just for one more minute, look at God's grace here. This is old covenant, but this is still God's desire to save Every year at Passover, every single year, the opportunity was to any foreign born, any stranger, any sojourner passing through. Hey, do you want to be a part of the covenant relationship with the Lord God Almighty? Do you want to be? Because you can be. Here's what his word says. If you put your faith in God and you obey his word, you can be. Think about that. Every single year they're brought to a point of decision where they can decide. I don't want to have any confidence in the flesh, but I want to put my trust in Jesus. That's what circumcision was always a picture of. A cutting away of our fleshly dependence. A cutting away of our desire to think that we can please God through the works of our hands. It's admitting that I have no confidence in the flesh. My flesh cannot be righteous, but I can be received on the basis of faith. And that's what God is showing here, even in the book of Exodus in this old covenant. Here for us today in a new covenant through faith in Jesus, it's even easier to come to the Lord and be received, but it still requires the same thing. Faith working itself out through obedience. So just note that. That's what's going on here. They are to be his people. Chapter 13 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. And Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten on this month. You are going out in the month of Abib, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days... And no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. And and you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you between your hand and as a memorial between your eyes, that the Lord's law may be in your mouth, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year." So chapter 13 starts out by saying, consecrate your son to me, your firstborn son, they are mine. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. We're going to pick that back up in verse 11. But I want you to see that Moses now is moving on from the night of Passover to the next seven days, the days of unleavened bread. This too is supposed to be a memorial, something done year after year to remind the people of what God has done for them, who he is, who they are because of who he is. And so that's what he tells them. You're to be unleavened. You're to remove all leaven from your house. And we want to know what's the point? What is God wanting them to remember? Well, point number three here is that Egypt is not your home. This whole picture of being unleavened is just to remind them Egypt is not your home. And this whole idea, this concept of Egypt, it's a picture of the world. It's the world that we live in here right now. This world with its comforts and its luxury and its draws and its desires. Some things that can be pleasurable for a season. Some things that we can be thankful for. But things that should not deceive us into thinking this is our permanent home. Things that we're not to be thinking that that this is where I want to stay forever. Egypt is not our home. Egypt is not our home. Egypt is not the children of Israel's home. We as Christians here today, we are to have the mindset that we have two addresses. We have the physical, literal address that we have here on earth while we're here. It's temporary. And then we have our second address, which is in heaven with the Lord, with a solid foundation whose builder and maker is God. We need to think about it like that. This is not our home. Egypt here, a picture of this world, is not our home. And so this third point, this practice of unleavened bread each year, it's to remind them that we left Egypt with haste. That we left Egypt carrying everything we own. We if we couldn't carry it, we left it behind. Because we wanted out of there so fast. As we see we saw earlier with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and then we see we'll see with the children of Israel here in the book of Exodus, and then we see with the other kings. We see there's always this look back to maybe we should go back to Egypt. Maybe there's protection there, maybe, maybe there's comfort there. And the Lord says, No, you need to remember there's leaven there. Leaven being a picture of sin and corruption, bondage, oppression. Egypt was not a good place. There's not freedom there. You don't need to go back there for rescue or comfort. I called you out of Egypt. And so it's just this important thing to be reminded of. When we think of leaven, we see it throughout the Bible as a picture of sin. It's sin that corrupts. When you think of adding a little bit of leaven to bread, it's going to break down the components of that bread through a process called fermentation. And it's, it's actually causing corruption and gases to cause air bubbles, which allows the bread to rise. That sounds yummy, right? Maybe get mom some bread this morning for Mother's Day. But as we think about that practice, that's what's, that's what's going on here. But it's artificial. It's not substance. And that's what Egypt is all about. That's what this world today is all about. It's it's a show, right? You know that, right? You, You see this beautiful thing on the outside. Egypt, beautiful on the outside. But on the inside, what was it? Full of a bunch of people worshiping things that can't deliver. Full of a bunch of people putting their hope and trust in idols that could not, did not even stop God, hinder God, prevent God for a second. Egypt was a place where God manifests the truth that there is none like me in all the earth. Egypt is a place that shows God is the only one worthy to be worshiped. Right, So all that leaven of Egypt, that idolatry, all of those things that causes opposition to the Lord, what God is saying through the Feast of Unleavened Bread is leave all of that behind. Don't take any of that leaven, any of that sin from Egypt. I didn't want you to take a single thing lest it corrupt you. Leaven being a picture of sin is because a little bit of sin tolerated, justified, allowed in our lives, unconfessed, unrepented of, just like how leaven leavens the whole lump. That sin has the capacity to corrupt our whole heart. Believe it. Hebrews chapter 3 says, Do not be deceived. Encourage each other daily while it's still called today, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin just has a corruptive capability in our hearts. And so what was to be done is year after year, seven days, you're to, you're to make a conscious effort to remove all the leaven from your house. None found in your quarters. But it was also saying, is there anything in here that reminds me of Egypt? Is there anything here that is drawing me back to Egypt? Because as I go back to the feast of unleavened bread and I remember who God is, I remember who he's called me to be. I remember that Egypt is not my home. It's a great time to purge everything out. And I think that is so good for us as we think about, I don't want to forget God. I want to remember There comes a great time for us to do a little purging in our own lives. There's been a whole lot of projects being done in our homes, right? We're home. We're doing, hey, how about some purging? It's a great time to do some purging saying, those things are leading me back to bondage. Those things are keeping me from the place where God wants me. I don't want to forget. I want to remember who I am, who God is, and that this is not my home. I'm going to purge some of those things. Great time to do. But that's what this is about. That's what God is doing. And I want you to notice, God says, teach your kids to do this also. Teach your kids what you're doing. Teach your kids the Bible. Teach your kids so they can pass it down to the next generation. I love to teach my kids. I love to tell my kids, kids, I want to be your floor, not your ceiling. Which means I want my kids to start where I end. I want my kids to take everything I know and then exceed me in every possible way. How do I do that? I teach them who the Lord is. I teach them what God has taught me. I teach them what God has shown me. That's what he's telling them. Teach your kids. Don't do things the Egyptian way. Do things God's way. Don't forget. Verse 11 says, And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and gives it to you that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have. The males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? That you shall say to him By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets before your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord has brought us out of Egypt. Isn't that amazing how many times it's just to be passed on? It's it's God saying, Don't forget, remember, don't forget, remember, please don't forget, remember. That's what he wants. So here he says, Let's talk about those firstborn sons that God says they're mine. I want you to know this was supposed to be a perpetual reminder for the children of Israel. Something that was supposed to be before their eyes, like something they can always see because it's happening all the time. Something that's visible. Unlike Passover, which was one night, a solemn observance one night a year. Unlike the seven days, which is just one week a year. What he's talking about here, this is to happen all throughout the year. Children are born all throughout the year. Animals have young all throughout the year. And every time a person is is giving birth for the very first time, and that is a firstborn son, that son belongs to the Lord. Every time an animal is giving birth for the very first time, and it's a male, and it's a clean animal, that's given to the Lord. Think about how much God wants them to be seeing this. Ever before their eyes, they are seeing this. But if that animal is a clean animal, like a lamb, a goat, or a bull, it is to be sacrificed to the Lord. That's what God wants. Sacrifice this to me in remembrance of the Lamb of God that was sacrificed to redeem you from Egypt. If it's an unclean animal like a donkey, God does not want those. He says, don't don't sacrifice that to me. He says you either redeem it by the, the sacrifice of a clean animal or you break its neck. And if you've ever branded cattle and you know the mechanisms that are needed to try and keep that process going, you know it's not going to be easy to break the neck of a donkey. So you'd say, I better redeem this. But think about how that works. It's a lot harder to do things in disobedience to the Lord than just do what God's asking you to do and redeem it. So he says, redeem it. But when it comes to male children, human beings, they belong to the Lord and they must be redeemed. God is saying very, very clearly here, do not sacrifice your kids. That would be an abomination to the Lord. Do not sacrifice your kids. You must redeem them. How are to be redeemed? By the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of a, of a clean animal, without spot, without blemish, in its first year, just like we talked about last year. Sacrifice before them. But I just want you to think about how often this was supposed to be happening in, in Israel. Think about you parents with, with firstborn sons. I'm thinking about you, Robin, with Ernest. I'm thinking about you, Carolina, with, with Jacob. I'm thinking about you, Jen, with Jonathan. I'm thinking about you, Lexi, with Asher. Right? Think, that son belongs to the Lord that's what he says that son is mine because I spared all of your firstborn in Egypt I bought you with the precious blood of a lamb and now what I'm wanting you to do is I want you to set those children apart to me and I want you to redeem them through the reminder of another blood of the lamb so you can buy them back I'm just pointing this out think about God's plan here was this was to be happening so often How many different times are they told throughout the year, the blood of the lamb is our redemption, the blood of the lamb is our redemption, the blood of the lamb is our redemption. It should have been happening so often that when Jesus comes on the day of his visitation and he wants to gather the nation of Israel to himself like a hen, gathers her chicks, but instead of nobody or very few people being willing, they should have all been willing because this should have been as a forefront before their eyes. It should have been before them all the time. So when John the Baptist says, there is the Lamb of God who takes with us into the world, we say that's exactly what God has been setting up since Exodus chapter 12, since Genesis chapter three. But what did they do? They forgot. They stopped remembering and they lose touch with some of this stuff. You parents, you know how important it is. And we tell our kids, remember. Why? Because we all have the tendency to forget. And case in point, we see that exact same thing happens by the time Jesus comes, God in the flesh, the lamb of God coming to take away the sins of the world. And most of the nation of Israel doesn't even receive him as their Lord and Messiah, as that precious lamb. Some do, but most don 't and we, when we see this, we think it was it was spelled out so clearly god couldn 't have been clearer what his plan of redemption was. It is taking a moment to tell us today, hey, you today, be reminded. You today, set up some memorials before your eyes. Set up some memorials before your hands so you can remember. Take some time to remember just how beautiful it is that every time we spend time with God, daily Bible reading, daily devotion time, daily prayer, fellowship with other Christians, how often that is just God saying, hey, remember? Remember how much I love you? Remember what I've called you to do? Remember how I've gifted you to do it? Whatever it is, there's little subtle reminders that we can all forget when we isolate ourselves from some of those things. The enemy absolutely wants to have a heyday through this time. It can be a time of isolation, but we also have seen more togetherness through different online means than ever before. So keep pressing in. Don't grow weary in doing good even through the elongation of this time. Keep pressing in. God wants to do a great work. God has been doing a great work. So don't forget that. Remember what God is setting up. Verse 17 says, Then it came to pass... "...when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt." And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Succoth and camped at Etham at the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So this part is amazing too. There's a lot to talk about, but as we kind of wrap this up a little bit and start to land the plane here, I I want to hit some of these points just, just a little quicker. Number one, we're going to see that God is going to lead them. That God is going to be a pillar of cloud by day. He's going to manifest his presence in such a way that there's a visible cloud that says, There's the Lord. And at night, he's also going to lead them by day and by night. He's going to never leave them nor forsake them. And he's going to be a pillar of fire, not only to bring light to them, they're always going to know where he is, but then to also guide them when they need to travel, when this when the light is not so readily available. Isn't that amazing? I think that's so profound to see God doing that. But the part that's to my heart the most this week is where it says here in verse 17 it says that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines although that was near. What I love is, is, is God knows there's a shorter, faster way. It could have been about an 11-day journey from Goshen, where they were in Egypt, to the land of Canaan, the land of promise that God is going to give them. Think about that, 11-day journey. There was, a, there was a way that was nearer, right? It's going to be about 40 years. It will be 40 years before they get into the land of Canaan. But God doesn't take them the shortest way. God doesn't take them the fastest way. Now that doesn't mean that, well, the longest way must be better or the, the, the furthest way must be better. That's not what it means. You want to know what the best way is? The best way is God's way. The best way is whatever way God is going to lead you. And I want you to know that has ministered to my heart so much as we've been praying so much about God. How, how do you want us to to, to function this summer? How, how do you want us to, to lead this church? God, it's your church. How are you wanting to lead us? And I feel like God has said, will you just let me lead my way is the best way? I don't want you to think about the fastest way to reopen. I don't want you to think the quickest way to gather again. I want you to be fixed upon my way. I will lead you. I'm the chief shepherd and overseer of your soul. It's my church. Let me lead you. And that has ministered to my heart so much. But I want you to think about that in all aspects of your life. God promises to lead us, right? He is the good shepherd. You know what a shepherd does? Leads his sheep. His sheep know his voice. I missed point number four, and I'll tell you in a minute. But point number five here was, was God saying, follow me. He's telling the nation of Israel, follow me. So he's told us here, I am the Lord your God who called you out of Egypt. That was point one. Point number two is he says, you are to be my people. Point number three is Egypt is not your home. Point number four, which I covered, but didn't, didn't, didn't actually state was I made a way when there was no way. When we talk about the lamb of God that redeems us, that is God making a way where there was no other way. And then now number five, God just saying, follow me. God has always asked that. He's always saying, no, let me, follow me. Let, let me lead. Let me be your Lord. I am shepherd. I am chief ruler. I'm overseer. That's who God is. And so he's telling them, just come and follow me. And he's literally leading them by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And he's leading them on a specific route where he knows they're going to be successful. He says, if I lead them up to the Philistines, they're not ready for war. I just delivered them from, they're going from slaves to learn that now they're free. They're not ready for a war. They're not ready for some conflict yet. And he's concerned if they see that they may get discouraged and head right back to Egypt. So God, with purpose of heart, is leading them in a particular way where he's going to reveal more of himself to them, teach them about who he is, and eventually have a Red Sea water barrier preventing them when they get discouraged from easily going back to Egypt. And that is what God does. He knows what we can and can't handle and he knows what is going to be best for us. So that point remains, follow me. That's what God is asking for us to do. But as we close this out and we kind of think about these five things, these these five reminders for our heart, what I want us to do is, is not only not forget and remember, but I also want us to apply these things to our lives. And as I look at these five points and I try to think about what they all have in common, they all have in common this idea that I'm calling vertical vision. All of these things they're just us taking a step back and looking to God. Looking to God in remembrance, looking to God in in provision, looking to God to to guide and lead where we're currently at. And I think about that vertical vision. Instead of looking at our problems, let's look to the problem solver. Instead of looking to the left and the right, let's keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. Let's keep our eyes vertically. Let's camp out in His Word and let it truly be a lamp unto our feet. Let's stay in communication with God through prayer, asking, seeking, knocking, hearing, receiving as God opens different doors for us. And staying in fellowship with other believers. I can't tell you how many times God uses other Christians in my life to speak to me God's truth, to remind me God's word, to remind me who he is. All of those things help us keep a vertical vision. This world wants to have us look around at the ever-changing circumstances around us. But God says, if you keep your eyes fixed upon me, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm unchanging. The only constant in this life is the Lord God Himself. And He says, fix your eyes on me. Anchor yourself heavenward. Don't forget, remember, I have spoken. I've got this little poem that I put in your study guide, but it's a poem I just want to close with as well. Listen to this little poem. It's so true. It says, If we look within, it will disappoint us. If we look around, it may distract us. If we look back, it may discourage us. If we look forward, it may intimidate us. But if we look up to God, He will preserve us. He keeps the head from swimming, the heart from sinking, the feet from slipping, and the hands from hanging down. So friends, let's look up. There our loving Father is. There our interceding Savior is. There our all-sufficient supply of the Spirit is. There our everlasting home is. That's what we want to keep our eyes fixed on, having that vertical vision, looking up to God in faith, knowing that we have one who is our advocate interceding for us every step of the way. Let's do that. Don't forget, but remember how great and glorious God is and let that be your charge and the energy to keep going as we press into him through this time.